Welcome to Foul Mouths, episode 16, the COVID-19 episode. We're all fucking locked in. Uh, we hope that you're also fucking locked up and ready to, I guess, spend the rest of eternity behind bars or whatever your front door looks like. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we're, we're really like playing to an urban audience. If you don't have bars on your windows already, <laughs> where are you living? I thought that was I thought it was going to be perfect, for, but and then I just ran out of words. <laughs> first floor apartment, bars on the windows. Yep. Yep. There nice. we go. Um so we have a surprise guest with us for this episode. It's a super secret. Well, yeah, I ran I ran into Matt Heather Bell already on a hike. Heather already posted it to social yeah, media. Yeah, sorry it's for. <laughs> hey, look, not everybody's that plugged in, right? Secrets That's out. Secrets out. So yeah, you ran Matt... into Matt Bell on I did. the trail today. Yeah, we went for a hike, and he walked out of the woods with his parents, and it was weird, honestly, because because we're all, they weren't you know, practicing, practicing social distancing yeah no his parents really did distance themselves from us it was really yeah. funny they practiced very well it was a, the bells have this shit down uh, matt walked right up to us we could see the discomfort in his folks eyes and it was perfect so that that uh, is the key feature of this whole fucking shit is is the 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 awkward anxious look from strangers and friends alike that you have yeah, to beautiful. endure. Oh my god! Except for Matt. Matt walked right up to us. Yeah. He basically, he might as well have hugged us, even though he o didn't. Open but if mouth, he had, open mouth yeah. kisses for all. Open mouth kiss. It was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, say something. Jesus. Oh my lord! <laughs> I am here. Yes. <laughs> Matt's it. We're we're for those of us that don't look at social media. Matt and I are sharing a pair of earbuds, so it's <laughs> it's beautiful. We're gonna have a spaghetti dinner later together. So. Oh man, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And a third beer. So what are you guys doing? Um, you know the same thing that everybody else should be doing, which is you know hanging out in our house, going nuts. Our toddler is making us crazy. We're making him crazy. He's crazy. He doesn't have any friends. All his. Did you know he ask I mean? to move out? Like we were just talking about this with 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 some some friends of ours. Um how tough it must be on on little kids just because they they don't understand you know and he went from from going to daycare every day seeing his little pals to being completely isolated and he has no way to communicate with anyone but us and we do facetime with our folks but he like literally has been asking for facetime 24 7 and then yeah. when he's not asking for facetime he's asking to go to the park and we can't go yeah. to the park because the playground is closed literally they locked it. and so we have to walk by it <laughs> like we live so close to yeah they put a yeah. lock on it and we live so close to it that we actually have to walk by it we try to avoid to get it. anywhere yeah. yeah and and then he like is just like trying to get out of the stroller to go and we have to be like no it's closed and it's just yeah <sighs> yeah Can we just talk though like for a minute just really quickly like I I know that aside from the open mouth kissing and sharing mics and stuff like that that you're doing, you're both responsible human beings. You know, like we know what we have to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, are you 
as sick as I am of the sanctimonious shit that you read from literally everybody on social media and on the news, like, are you as tired of this as I am? Or or are you in the, like, this is necessary stage still? Because, like, I'm past it. Like, I, I can't handle it anymore. I don't think I ever, I never had, like, a, the, this is, like, a, whole, a big hoax kind of situation. So the entire time I've been a little bit aware of what, like, at least a little bit aware of what's going on. And so I've been, like, washing my hands and, like, not fucking holding you know, people's hands and sharing drinks and shit like that when doing everything right. Like just living like a person really should at this fucking point in the world. I feel like the people that are getting it now are, must be some kind of weird fucking sex fiends or some shit. Like, what are you doing? What, what have you been doing to get it in like Willimantic, Connecticut? Nobody knows about Willimantic unless they do heroin. So, like, how are people in Willimantic getting this? Uh, they probably I, I want to know. They went to the brew pub, man. I went there and I don't have it. <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't. You don't make have sense. symptoms. <laughs> that's true. Silent you don't barrier. have symptoms. You Silent may have barrier. it. You don't have symptoms. Are you, he has it. Are you, Get out of there, Matt. Get are out. You, are you Corvid or Co? Co? Oh my God. <laughs> you already did it. It's Corvid nineteen. Whatever. Are you? Are you victim blaming right now? Oh, Me? victim blaming. That like yeah, you 100%. have it. Yeah. I. I'm a victim blamer. I'm I sorry. I get. I get all of this stuff i just don't need to dude i get 30 fucking emails a day from people yeah. telling me about this shit like oh, shut the fuck up you know who doesn't need up. to tell me anymore navient fuck you navient i don't care what you're doing for the fucking people every of covid-19 fucking who cares? company i've ever Geico? done business with everyone who has my email address is, is yeah. sending me an email telling me what they're yeah. going to do my, for me and the answer task, is is jack shit my task management software is like they're using me. it like a marketing <laughs> we've got tool got your back yeah, yeah. yeah we've, we've got, got your, your back. back exactly yeah. that's what my bank said my bank is like, yeah. we're there for you. It's like, you're not fucking there for me. You're making money Deposited off my money. Deposit an extra five grand in my fucking account if you got my back. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, I don't it know. Is. It's it's crazy times, and we've been dealing with it by taking James to, like, an abandoned, like, not an abandoned, but, like, a parking lot where there's a lot of <laughs> birds yeah. in the in the brush around it, and actually, and actually some hooded mergansers in a pond that you can see from it. Yeah. Hey, so that's all that matters. So you know, and then we've been l- letting him play in the local graveyard. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's not morbid at all. People nope. in the town, people in the neighborhood treat it as a, a dog, dog park. park. So um, we figure it's no less respectful to have a kid climbing around a graveyard than like dogs peeing on gravestones. Yeah. Just saying. I mean, shout out Whitneyville. Have- <laughs> Half these people are just visiting their fucking, their soon-to-be new no, apartments. Yeah, they're picking out their next spot. Yeah. Oh, my God. Is that morbid? Sorry. Yeah. Dude, I you know, we were talking about this, too, and it's like, uh, it's called gallows humor, and everybody who's sane is doing it because we're staring into this stupid amount of unknown. Yeah, an um, abyss. With, with, like, with local, state, and federal government um, completely lacking any sort of leadership and no plans anywhere. Yeah. You know, like we just got a shelter in place order um, w- with essentially no plan for the future. Like, yeah, it's been perfect. It's just like, yeah, everybody stay home. We're going to shut down all businesses. We have no plan for actually like helping people 
helping people keep their jobs, yeah. uh, pay the bills. Farmer. Yeah, we like yep. yeah, we have no plan, and, and we don't know when it's going to end, and we don't know anything, and we don't have testing for anybody. But it's cool. Just stay at right. home. Everything will be fine. And it's already taken an effect on some of the nonprofits, like Connecticut yeah. Audubon's Glastonbury Centers, already announced that they're closing on July first due to the financial difficulties that it's already caused. Yeah. Yeah. And no, then, it's, it's and nuts. then, um, didn't um, Bent to the River uh, close too, or is it just closed to the public? Closed yeah. to the public. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah it's just it. They yeah. But it's like. But even so, it's the woods. I mean, they. Yeah. I know they have the center. <laughs> I, I mean, I know they have the center, but you know, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, it's that whole. And I think Sean can talk it from today. It's it's that whole people want to get outside, but everyone's going to the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Like the yeah. parks around here are were just packed today. Yeah. Everyone wants to get outside. They're sick and tired of being holed up. And, yeah. And then that's and it's, it's, awkward. <laughs> Well, right. It's like, oh, hey, you know, we're all avoiding the same thing. And here we yeah. are walking past each other, which isn't going to, you know, Dr. Fauci, the, the, the head of infectious diseases said walking past someone's not a big deal, but it's still crossing through everyone's mind. And I oh, think yeah. the biggest problem is that you can't tell how many of these fucking couch ridden fat asses that haven't seen the sun in seven years, <laughs> if it's just like asthma or if they actually have the fucking disease. Because <laughs> they're, right. thanks, thanks, they're just thanks. wheezing. Right. Yeah. So. That's what I'll, that's, how I, that's how I feel about that. Just gonna lay that one oh out there. Oh my goodness! Put a bow on true. it. Because, I've, no, I've there's seen fucking a lot. Parks full of people. It's yeah. just funny because I've. I, I, it's true. I have seen people outside with their families that like I literally have never seen, seen before in our neighborhood <laughs> before. Our neighborhood. It's like, and you so, live here, and so there's like a positive aspect to it. It's like there's families walking together. Like yeah. there's there's people with older kids who I've never seen in the neighborhood, and they're like spending family time together. So there's it's like it's fucking adorable. It is adorable, but it's also like. It's also tinged with this weirdness. So it's also stay the fuck out of my birding area. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel you, man. I feel you're really you. Help, you're really hindering my process, my progress here. You got you got strange interlopers in your in your private patch. I got yeah, it. it's weird. Yeah. So it is weird. yeah, for the time being, I guess we 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 uh, take back our recommendation to share your um, binoculars with people if they're interested. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, keep a distance when you're you... just hiss at people if they approach you. <laughs> carry a six, carry a six foot long stick and just put and just <laughs> poke times. them with it. Yep. Stay back, well, motherfucker. Yeah, it could be four feet, assuming your arm is at least two feet long. Oh, that's true. I mean, so. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Doing measure the math over first. here. Yeah, oh yeah. Your arms. Yeah, measure four your plus arms. two, seven. For... Yeah. Simple. <laughs> Simple right. math. So that. That piece out of the way, because I feel like I yeah, haven't sorry. been listening to podcasts because they are talking about this. Yeah. But I do think we need to address it because, like, shit is weird. Like, I have not prepared for this episode like I usually do. Everything feels a little, like, what the fuck matters. But also, like, I do think it's important that we, you know, make an episode and, uh, you know, because our adoring fans probably mess up. It's super normal <laughs> for me because I haven't done any preparation. Yeah. Well, I did a little bit, but yeah. not a lot. I haven't yeah. done any. Matt didn't even know this was happening until <laughs> Cheers, about Matt. four hours ago. So. No, less than that. No, I was being a part of it until about an hour and a half ago. 
<laughs> well, you've well, known you're supposed to be a part of it for like yes, as true. long as well, we've been doing the podcast. Very, very, very <laughs> true. Very true. Here we go. So usually we do these fucking banner episodes, which is what this was supposed to be by doing a live catch up. So yeah. uh, let's do that. Let's just catch up. Let's let's talk about what we've been doing because it's been a few episodes since we've said anything. Nice. What have you well, guys been doing? Uh, why don't we actually start with Matt since since he's our guest? Okay, fine. I mean, Matt, what have you been doing? <laughs> what have you I been just doing? Recently, I just recently got back uh, about uh, almost two weeks ago now from Costa Rica, leading a, a Costa Rican uh, highlights trip for 14 days down there. Nice. Uh, we pulled out about 475 species over Whoa. 13 and a half days of birding. Okay. Um, and since, No big deal. No big deal. Uh, Jeez. uh had some wonderful clients nice small group how's last your, trip we're gonna have for a while how's your possibly. year list going my year list is good it's at about 575 now okay. oh my i was gonna say with with that thrown in the middle <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i told sean earlier i was laughing um it's not often someone can say they have king eider and king vulture in the exact same month whoa uh the month of february so that was that was that kind of right. hit me i was like that's that's some, that's some pretty cool shit. Like, yeah. So what is your typical year list like number? My typical year list uh, for ABA, I average close to 400. Last year was the first year in three years. I didn't hit 400. I ended oh. up with like 370-ish. Do you usually travel? Um, yeah. I, I, get a, I mean, I go back to Ohio where I went to school, um, mm. and then I sometimes go to Texas or Florida. Um, yeah. This year, my plan is, and we'll see how it goes with this whole thing, going out to Montana to visit some friends July 4th and then possibly uh, Arizona the first week of August. Okay. Um, so I'll be getting some travel here at least. Uh, I'm hunting down the life list to, to reach for 1,000. I hit 900 in Costa Rica. Wow. Uh, so I'm sitting at 901 now. Um, well, get them before just, they're gone, right? Right, get it before it gone. If they're gone, and are there a thousand left? Yeah, a little over a thousand. Yeah, there, there are, there are, and I, and I look at all of my adventures as, you know, I realize how lucky I am to travel, Uh, and I realize that the responsibility that comes with it, not just uh, traveling. I can talk about more later, but it's, you know, um, telling the stories of everything that's out there for those who can't travel, so that people realize to. Uh, you know, be a bit more conscious environmentally because they may not be affecting you know their local neighborhood, but they can affect the world as a whole. And the world has so many awesome things to see. Yeah, uh, that bringing it, having the chance to bring it into others' homes is something I, I cherish and I recognize that I need to do. Yeah. No big deal. No, no big one's going to yeah, give you I'd... shit for going on an airplane, and if they do, no. Yeah. They have to talk to me. Well, there soon won't be any airplanes, so I don't know how you're yeah, getting they're... out to Arizona, but probably steam car, I guess. Yeah. I'll drive. I need to. Steam I'm car. Gonna... I'm going to teach him how to ride a bike finally. What's the What's the thing you use on the on the railroad that that's just like the oh the sort hobo of... carts? Yeah, the teeter totter <laughs> thing that just like goes yeah. up and down like in the old. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh my god, I haven't thought about that since like the last time I watched a. Just get Tunes. Sean on one side, Matt on the other, and it's just up and down. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh my god so, is that all you've been doing or do you you've been anywhere else you want to i mean that's throw anything else at us that, i mean i started the year off in canada 
for in Quebec for boreal owl, but uh, besides that in Costa Rica, I've just been birding New England. Uh-huh. I, th- I mean, I had my very good friend come visit and at one point and helped her get the dove key and, and thick-billed myrrh and, and razorbill for lifers and, and help her on her year. Nice. Um, Where was she coming from? She came from Ohio. Uh, okay. And she made her way uh, an indirect route heading from Columbus, Ohio to Austin, Texas for her current field job working with Golden Cheeked Warblers. Okay. She's like a fucking – she's like a, a like a birding hobo. She just jump, goes from like one job to the next, like doing like banding and research work. Awesome. And yeah. just like up in her life list. So. Yeah, she, she's a very, very close friend of mine. I guess Hello, Candace. Hello, like, oh, Candace. Yeah, Candace Glanville. Um, really close friend of mine I've known for – years actually one of the few friends i have who i've known since before they were a bird watcher um so i I love to follow along and help her in any way i can is it your fault uh, that she's a birder um i assisted yeah i i I have a a very you enabled yeah i have a, a screenshot of the very first message she ever sent me and it's on facebook saying hey matthew uh i'm interested in joining the ornithology club at ohio state nice and she had taken a birding class up on Lake Erie, uh, and that opened a can of worms that, to this day, is continuing to inspire people across Ohio and and really expanding outwards to the United States. Uh, and she, you know, she's a, uh, as a as a as a woman in science, you know, she gets those uh, those periods where she gets ju- people judge her. You know, people think she doesn't know as much as she does and what people don't realize is that she's extremely there's a lot of women in the birding community who are extremely knowledgeable and and the older gentlemen need to realize that this younger generation uh is are the ones who are going to change the world and the women are going to be the front line of it and she's helping to lead that push old white men need to shut the fuck up yeah exactly exactly but they've been doing such a great job heretofore Yeah, look at yeah, how but, great everything did, is. Did that sound convincing? <laughs> that was really well put. Thank yeah, you. no, but, but yeah, yeah. She came out in uh, uh, was it February? Yeah, February, mid February, right after, right before Valentine's Day. She came out, and I took her up to Maine, and and you know we got the birds that she needed. That I was going to say where New England specialties. Uh, you so you got the the thin billed Razorback. What was that? Th- th- <laughs> so we got. Is we that an Arkansas Maine. bird? <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. We we got um thick billed myrrh and dove key and uh razor bill okay. all in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Okay. <laughs> so we had a very good year this year for both dove key and thick billed myrrh. You could take a boat if you you know, about we we didn't do it, but you could take a boat for about uh, sixty dollars out of a New Hampshire port and see a thousand dove key in one day. Okay, dove right. key are like the size of a rugby ball. Yeah, if that, if that, they they are extremely small alcids and uh, you know related to puffins and um, it, this is a phenomenal year to see them from shore and we were lucky enough to see a couple of them. You can only saw two two of them from shore. I I heard puffin and it just made me think pangolin and I was going to go to a dark place but I won't. Um, Don't you dare. So this is why, like, right. So I, I heard the um, thick furred razor <laughs> okay, just, snail. Just stop there. 
And um, and I was like, these birds sound strange and unusual to me. And it's because you have to get on a fucking boat to see them. This is why. Yeah. 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 So I have never yeah, gotten on a boat. To, I've never gotten on a boat to see a bird. So it's I'm not I'm not like. A, yeah, I'm not a good like New England birder, I guess. But this is like so Sean's talked about these trips. And this seems like something if if you're around these areas, um, well, maybe not anytime soon. But shortly thereafter, is there if after? If you own soon? a boat, you can just <laughs> just point it east, point it northeast, go for a hundred miles, see something head to dope. Canada, baby. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, basically, yeah. You head to Canada on your own boat, so you're distancing like a motherfucker at that point. Now, when you cross the line, does something happen? Technically, yes. <laughs> but it depends on on yeah. on what you're listing. Whether you get if caught. If you're caring about, right? If you're if <laughs> if you're caring about the American Birding Association area, the ABA area, which is all 50 states and all the provinces in Canada, then it just comes down to a technicality of, oh, I saw it in Canadian waters, but it still counts for this area. Hmm. If you're doing a lower 48 United States list, the second you cross that border, then you're immediately out of your area. So any, any bird you see there, you need right. to hope you see it back in Maine waters, technically, or assuming that's where you're leaving from. And if, and you, if you're not a birder or a member of the ABA, a uh, Soviet-era sub pops uh-huh. up I was and say. shoots your boat down. Yep. And yeah. if you haven't saved that lower 48 list in a lockbox, it disappears and you've never even seen any of those birds. So yeah. think twice. Yeah. Sean Connery slaps you in the face and everything's over. I'm I'm totally Australian. I mean Russian. I mean <laughs> Exactly. Um what have you guys been up to now that Matt's made us feel like shit? Um we've been honestly just taking care of Wee James. It's he's been, you know, going through his transitions. So Yeah. <sighs> Can we just but but what you guys have been doing is somehow Making an 18-month-old enunciate bird words. 19, excuse me, a 19-month-old child enunciate bird names better than I can. (laughs) I never heard chickadees so crisply. So whatever the (laughs) hell you're doing is pretty fucking phenomenal in that respect. I mean, he's a pretty, like, you know, I mean, I'm biased, but he's a pretty phenomenal baby. And, yeah, I mean, we just work with him every, I mean, ever since he was, I don't even know, as soon as he could hold his head up, he was wanting to look out the window. So we've just been talking about what birds are outside, what birds are at our feeder. And yeah, he is, he can identify like over 10 birds. Obviously, sometimes he's completely wrong. Um, but he, um, he knows when, a, when he, when you're like, okay, so if we're in the house and we're doing like playing Legos or something and a blue jay squawks outside, He'll go blue jay, you know. Like he is completely aware of the birds, especially if they make very distinct calls. And so I've been teaching him, working lately with um crows and um cardinals because now they're out and about, and it's been interesting to watch that interest blossom. Um. And his favorite bird right now um, is turkey vultures. And he literally can say turkey vulture. Yeah, I heard him. It was weird. 
<clears throat> it's like he's just voice you you know that he's like a baby <laughs> but it's so perfectly clear yeah. it's like um it's just like a weird audio filter with like some instagram like right everyone so, everyone talks awesome. about how weird it is to hear a baby talk <laughs> And and then like and then just the slightly wrong accent where instead of yeah. turkey vulture it's turkey vulture. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's so strange, yeah. but it's like so, super. It's super impressive. I wish I want to see it in person because the last time I saw him was was the. Um, we'll have to Facetime with you. Yeah, the last episode we recorded was like I saw him around then, and he was. Yeah. He, you know he was he was speaking, but it was like broken English. And now it's like, nope, it's just clear Sentences. as day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's weird. It, he's made, yeah. And so to make those leaps um, in his speech means that he's been a fucking asshole. And uh, <laughs> he's really fussy and really difficult. And then it just was like, he was just freaking out over everything for like two months straight. And I just didn't have, I haven't done the social media for Foulmouse. I haven't done anything because I've just been so. Even with him in daycare, it's just broken by the end of the day. So, um, so yeah. So he's a, he's been through a it's lot. Okay. Hmm. I the, what my thing with foul mouths right now, and like with how quiet we are in between episodes and stuff, is like with Bird Chick not recording anymore. The Bird Chick podcast, mm-hmm. R.I.P. We're taking the perfect place there. You know, we drink and swear and take our t- sweet ass time and. Don't keep track of things, and it's perfect. So, yeah, I'm gonna I mean, get Sharon on too. Li- by the way, right? Life, life comes Sharon. at you pretty fast, and you just gotta roll with it. And right now, yeah. times are super strange, and um, you know, but we're 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 doing what we can. You know, we we get out as much as possible. Um, we have a nice little local patch we padded through the other day, and there were some uh, ring neck ducks, which was a nice little treat. That's cool. Um, a few pairs of uh, of um, hooded mergansers. The wood ducks are back, so nice. probably like you know nine or ten of them. Uh, the rookery around the corner is is really hopping. So, um, and actually, Matt, you know, I have a, a I had a question for you. I don't know if you're up on your um, great blue heron rookery um, habits, but um, I ran into a a fellow birder this afternoon on a walk we did maintain um a meter and a half of distance when we were questioning each other about hearing some juvenile red tails uh in the local woods um but we were talking about the the blue heron rookery um down on Waite street here in hamden um at lake whitney and we were talking about um there are probably like eight mating pairs now back in you know the tops of these 60 foot pine trees down there and it it doesn't seem like they they're not nest building they're just i assume squatting right because they're they're already in nests do you know anything about like how this happens do they just sort of squat and take over and then fix up yeah they will most likely return to the same nest that they used year after year okay um I'm not entirely sure about the great blue heron specifically, but I know a lot of, uh, you know, things like, for example, bald eagles will nest in the same nest year and year until the tree collapses under the weight of the nest. Right. Uh, I don't know how great blue herons, uh, you know, associate similar to that, but 
you know, once a rookery is set up, then the nests are there, so they should have no reason to waste the energy to build a new nest if so, they can. Uh, they're like timeshares. <laughs> Essentially, yes, you know, and it might and it might be the same pair re- returning to a nest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know a, a ton about their uh, their their nesting habits, um, but I would assume because in a year after year, you can go down to Silver Sand State Park here on the sh- on the shoreline mm-hmm. and look out towards the island there, and I don't I don't see an increase of nests year after year. So I'm assuming that they're reusing the same nests because if they build too much, trees collapse and they lose the habitat. Right. I wonder where the juveniles go then. Well, the juveniles, you know, once they, they, they may return to the same and help build that, uh, habitat or they may migrate elsewhere. I don't, I don't know their yeah. site fidelity. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm not going to pretend I know their no. site fidelity. Now I could, might be able to research it quickly as we sit here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, hey, it that, might not that's be what we it. do. I mean, just Google it uh, silently on your phone and then just, Pull it out later. Um, and then you sound like you're an expert. Well, he's as close as, as there is on this podcast. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's weird. Uh, sorry, Heather. Um, yeah, no. I just wanted to. Uh, so it's it's crazy because we have this um, heron rookery on one side of us, on one side of Whitneyville. And then on the other side uh of Lake Whitney. Lake Whitney is really weird because it's sort of broken up and it forms a, a, a almost like a U, almost, uh, yeah, it's a U shape. And on either side, there's a, a the heron rookery and then there is a giant stand of, I, I don't know what kind of coniferous tree, um, but it, it is the, the yearly nesting ground for the double-crested cormorants. All right, yeah. Um, and they are sort of slowly just destroying this stand of of trees. of trees. And depending on the time of year you go down there, you just hear this crazy croaking, you know, just nonstop loud sort of soul rendering like awful sound. Um and it was just curious because, yeah, you know, you mentioned that um, bald eagles will just build and build and build until the tree breaks. And I know the cormorants um, are are doing this, and they'll just like wipe out sort of entire swaths of 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 trees. Um, I don't know how long the heron rookery has been over there, but it seems comparatively pretty tidy, and the nests aren't super obvious from the street you know if you're just going by like they're not huge um you sort of have to see the birds fly up there to, yeah to really well once know. you see them flying that's when that's when it's obvious because they're so fucking huge dinosaur bird <laughs> yeah they are they are big and they're not even the biggest in their whole family no but they're only crazy. like five to six pounds that's what i always find is amazing yeah, they're not yeah, very it's, good. It's eating. uh it's <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one way to to put it. They're not very good at eating. <laughs> so who is who's well, I mean in Sean's terms, who's better eating? Who's bigger than these than these birds in their family? Well, the Jabiru of Central America stands five feet tall. Okay. Whoa. So uh that's a pretty big bird if you think mm-hmm. about it um jabiru I mean, if you jabiru j-a-b-i-r-u hmm. uh, famous for the red 
uh, neck sack slash collar thing. Um, but they're big. When you see them in flight and then perch, you go, holy shit, that thing is tall. And it flies. It's not like the ostrich that doesn't fly. This thing flies. Hmm. Um, and they're, they are the biggest uh, stork. I mean, they're not necessarily in the same family as, you know, egret or heron, hmm. but um, from a behavioral standpoint and, and what the general public would think of mm-hmm. as a typical wading bird yeah, the, big fucking wader the, the jabber yeah. is going to be up there um great blue heron in north america great blue heron is the largest of their genus mm-hmm. so um we you know the lar- the only thing bigger that we have that resembles them in north america is going to be the wood stork right um, yeah i was just I believe is bigger i was yeah. i was looking at them uh on instagram that, that neck sack is really something else. Ooh. Yeah. Is there any is there any like crop milk that comes out of that or what? Sean, do you know <laughs> anything about this? Don't make me vomit on the fucking podcast, please. <laughs> have you have you seen this like weird viral um video? It hit Instagram for me like three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, of the, the flamingos. pink flamingos. Yeah. And oh, oh, I yeah. tweeted I tweeted that out on, Insta- yeah, yeah, on yeah. our Instagram. Have you seen this? It no, looks like disgusting. it's it looks because it, like what I didn't know, and I'm like so sad about when we did the crop milk episode is that I didn't know that the crop milk for the pink flamingo is red. It's blood red. Blood red. And so when That's they gross. vomit it out, it looks like gushing blood going into their babies. And so yeah, so if you haven't seen it's this, sick. It there's there's one. There's one flamingo that's trying to feed the baby, and there's another one that's trying to feed the baby too, but getting it really wrong, and it just has its beak in the other parent's head, but it's like pumping out crop milk, so it looks like it's just drilling into this other bird's brain, and like blood is just dripping down its beak. Uh, tr- trigger warning. Uh, oh, it's... You show me the video right now, or the photos. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's that's fucking so love weird. it. It is really wild. You should, yeah. Check it out, everybody. Um, Sean, this is the time on the on the episode where you try to bring us back and bring bring us to some sort of well, focus. So I've been up to stuff too. Let's do my catch up. Does that? Does anybody care? Um, I care. <laughs> Wait, who I is have, who uh, is this? <laughs> this is Sean. Oh, okay, yeah. I guess this is this is Sean talking. Who? Sean's been. Uh, Doing a, I've been doing a big year. I, uh, Nick Bonomo, who, one of our former guests, and Matt here convinced me that I should do a big year since we just moved to the quiet corner of Connecticut, Wyndham and Tallinn County. They're like pretty severely underburdened. So, um, like an asshole, I decided that it was a good idea. So, uh, luckily for me, uh, COVID 19 uh, came at a good time. Uh, as far as migration is concerned. So I've been getting out every day birding. Um, so I'm up to 88 species for my big year at the moment. Um, I'm only counting birds from Tolland and Wyndham County. Uh, and I'm at 88 so far. It's been cool because I'm like hopping from spot to spot, lake lakes and weird patches in the woods and all sorts of shit, just kind of looking for the spots that will yield the best birds. Um, and I've found some really awesome stuff so far. The highlight has been ruffed grouse. Uh, hmm. 
doing its drumming. Um, it's the first time in a while that anybody's uh, heard heard them doing their thing. Wow. Um, did you yeah, see so it? Yeah, so that was kind of cool. Or just... I don't get—I didn't see him. I heard it. I wow. felt it, sort of. It's like a really oddly deep drumming. You hmm. sort of feel the percussive, uh, like parts of the wing beating and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that don't under know, like ruffed grouse, the male will like beat its wings on its chest, and it makes this sort of drumming thud. You can kind of. The closer you get, the 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 more audible it is. But you sort of you more feel it than anything else. It's like being at a like a fucking drum and bass show or something like that, um, standing next to the speakers and stuff. Um, and then a couple days later, um, this kid up here, Aaron uh, Aaron Bork, he went to the same spot and he saw two in flight uh, oh, wow. for the confirmation. So nice. yeah, it was pretty cool. So that was a that was kind of like an awesome highlight. Um, and then it's been like some weird storm bird, some some ducks that are like storm birds that came down, scoter, uh, surf scoter, some greater scop, stuff like that, stuff hmm. you don't typically see on a lake in Connecticut, stuff that's usually in Long Island Sound. So that's cool. And I'm just going for what I can. The uh, expected, I think the expected count should be about 150 species. I'm hoping for more. Uh, if I hit 150, I'll be psyched. Maybe more would be even better. So that's really cool. I, I I really like this idea of of the limited geography and and sort of like doing with what you have. And it yeah. seems yeah, it seems like you have a a diverse enough sort of field to work with. Um, yeah, that's, well, it's that's like really cool. The, the Connecticut is pretty bound to its specific spots. You know, we have Hammonasset, we have Bluff Point, we have Silver Sands, Sherwood Island, uh, East Rock Park, but realistically, aside from some specialty species in certain spots, people don't go anywhere else. No. So it's it, the idea is to like draw focus with, you know, with with these sightings to new areas, so more people go and look for species there. Mm-hmm. Pre James, and, and I would. Say, oh yeah, sorry. I, I would just say I would say ninety percent of birding in Connecticut is along the shoreline. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. him doing this inland is is a huge boost not only for the community here but for you know, all the research being done, whether it's through eBird or Yukon or the Breeding Bird Atlas. The, the lists he's submitting, especially as it gets closer to the spring, are going to help support all the you know more inland evidence that is really lacking from mm-hmm. this area of the state. Yeah. Way to go, Sean. Even if it's like. Yeah, I mean, even if it's like having, we had an overwintering eastern phoebe in our yard. Like, Whoa. you know, just the fact that I saw that a couple times over the mm-hmm. winter, putting those sightings in, is like, oh shit, like that's happening here. Yeah, that's cool. And and, and, and for those, just we, you know, he mentioned the counties, but for those wondering, the quiet corner of Connecticut is the northeast corner. The two northeast counties of the eight counties in Connecticut, Tolland and Wyndham counties, are northeast in the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And I grew up just over the border, and it's fucking quiet. <laughs> it's very it is, quiet. Yeah, it's really odd. There's, like, a lot of the places that I've been going, I'm, like, driving, and then the, the road turns to gravel, yep. and there's no homes. I'm like, okay, where the fuck am I right now? You hear and the I've banjo my whole playing life. in the background, and you start yeah, getting honestly, nervous. Yeah, it's weird. So, But it's been really interesting. There's some beautiful places out here. People are super nice, and... I'm like the only asshole with binoculars, so everybody has questions. But 
it's kind of interesting. And the more people you talk to, the more people you realize are kind of aware of like weird stuff that goes on or they're like, Oh yeah, there's like these owls over here or, Mm. Oh, I saw some ducks over at this pond. Like, Oh, what pond there? There's no pond on the map. Go down the lane, make a left when you see the big Brown cow. Oh yeah. It's like people like the directions are like, all right, go half a mile on your odometer and turn left at the at the giant boulder on the side of the road. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. like, I guess I'll try. Yeah. But it, it works, and yeah. It's funny how different people are from that area. I also taught in Winstead for a while, and it was nice oh, because cause it's yeah. like, I don't know, it's like being home, and it's weird because you'd think that I'm not that far away from where I grew up, but the way that people are, are is very different. Yeah. Very different. Yeah, I mean, that's really, like, literally all I've done since we moved up here is try and figure out where I was going to go. And so, then January 1st, I just started, and here I am. So what went so. into your, your planning for the for the big day? You said you sort of got talked into it. Like, what um, what goes into the, the planning for a big day in a place that is underburdened? You know, maybe just for people who are listening who are looking at the bird reports or the bird maps or whatever and they're like hey i'm in a place where nobody's seeing birds what should i do so the first thing i kind of did was i I, you know i i talked to to the people that have been doing this for a long time like hey what species like these are the hard species to get but they're in connecticut like what do you think is there a possibility to get them and i would like if they said yes then i would just start using eBird honestly uh if you can do um you can search for species by location and I did that's what I did like ruffed grouse or um you know pick a warbler and you know if you know like for instance like black-throated green warbler like if there's a black-throated green in the area then chances are good that I'm going to find pine warbler Mm -hmm. and maybe black Bernie and warbler close by and things like that. So I would look for one species, check for a hot spot, and then go through the last two or three years of sightings in the hot spot. And then I'll just write that spot down. And then from there, you just sort of open the map up and see what's around and just start checking things. And I just wrote out a list. And that from there, I set up alerts and I'm watching alerts and picking spots that have um, like time specific species. So ruffed grouse are drumming right now. So I went out looking for them and kind of with them, we'll, you can expect to get things like, you know, winter finches that are still hanging around or I don't know, fucking gold, golden crown kinglets or stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, like right. things that you like want to find that are sort tend to stick to the same area. So yeah. yeah. And if you're in an area that's really underburdened, like some of the areas around here are really underburdened, regardless of how many people have lived here for a period of time, my suggestion and what I've done, I have a list of every single public property on my computer in these areas. I have the the, the land trusts, the you know Nature Conservancy lands, Audubon lands, uh, town lands. I have a list of all of them because these are areas that may not have been birded or people have may not thought about birding them. And by looking at them on a map or reading their descriptions online, you can figure out their habitats, figure out what species you expect to be there. You know, if you know a species comes through the state, but you don't know where to find it, maybe look at this map of your uh, land, local lands that are accessible to the public. 
Mm. and figure out, okay, this one might be worth visiting because it has the correct habitat for this species and then make it a goal to visit there when that species could be there because you may find a new hidden gem that people don't know about because they don't come to this area because they don't think there's anything special here, but you may find something special. I think the example that we can give in Connecticut is in the northwest corner. Everyone knows about White Memorial Conservation Center, which is a phenomenal birding center. It's you know, it's it's the place where it's so many species bird up here in the Northeast. You have places like Boston Hollow, and people know these areas exist, but there's streets around there that are just as good and not as populated by the general public that hold the same species. So it's a matter of just looking at the map, looking at the public lands, and saying, I can check out here with the same habitat as this place. We know what species come to that good place, so I have a better chance of finding it there where there's less people, less noise, and I have a better, you know, longer time to search for it. And do you have tips and tricks for finding public lands? Are you Googling? Are you going uh, to the... to the it, it, for, for Connecticut, we actually have a website. I can't say off the top of my head. There's a website that lists every single land trust in the state. Oh, okay. Uh, so I have that website bookmarked, and I have an Excel document I've gone through and, and listed them all, so I have them. Uh, you know, in the, in the chance that website goes down. But it's really, I would say, you can look at... Google Maps, you can look at uh, some open source, OpenStreetMap, I believe is the name of the website, where a bunch of public uh, people can put their GPS files on for public lands. Or you can just look up a town and say, you know, public lands in X town or mm-hmm. or land trusts in this county and just Google it in that way, find them, look at a ma- you know, because some land trusts have properties that aren't accessible to the public. They may be something that's, uh, you know, um, entrusted to them in the future, but is an active farm currently. But at the same time, you may find some that are, oh, you know, only three or four acres, but they have a trail on them and it might run down by a river. So it's like, okay, that might be worth checking out. Um, But it's really just Googling, you know, looking at your county, looking up your general area. If you're in a small state like Connecticut, it's looking up this land trust in Connecticut. But if you're in a big state like Montana or Texas or California, it's, you know, in your county. So whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Brownsville and Texas or, or Los Angeles County, finding the public lands there, it's. It can be a challenge, but you know, Google has a lot of information if eBird doesn't have it or something online doesn't have it. Well, these might think, be good tips now that people might not be able to travel very far. So right. this might yeah, be it's true. a good goal. And especially if you're going to places where there are no other people, then you can feel good about yourself and your social distancing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I mean, I've been like checking dip- certain lakes every single day, just mm. sweeping sweeping the vistas from the lakes just to see if there's anything new on it. And mm-hmm. I found, you know, in the last, like the la- over the last week, I think I found long-tailed duck and, and greater scop and, and things like that, that like shouldn't be there, but mm-hmm. are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nobody would have ever fucking known about it if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't for me and um, David Matthew, who el- who's also up here doing his thing. Um, he he's basically doing the same thing as I am right now, just sweeping the area for as much as he can because he's got nothing else to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a few of us that are doing it, and it's 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 going to be a I think right now with the amount of people that are at, not at work, just sign up for your fucking eBird. Uh, I know. I'm like, alerts. maybe we should start an initiative. Yeah, I mean, seriously, if you sign up for your county eBird alert right now, you're going to be shocked by the things that are popping up. Because 
you know, people are starting to realize like, okay, there was like a rainstorm came through and mm-hmm. duck migration is, is happening right now. If the, if a big rainstorm sweeps through, then ducks that are over open water are just going to drop to find, you know, anywhere to hunker down. And that means, you know, if they're flying off of Long Island Sound, for instance, that could be anything that we would see here that might end up on an open lake. Mm-hmm. I mean, the odds of finding like a redneck grebe, which just happened on a lake in Wyndham County, like we had a redneck grebe at West Thompson Lake. That's that's a ocean species. Like mm-hmm. we're, you know, it's happening right now. So it's a really good opportunity for people to see some stuff that they wouldn't expect to see for county listers to grab some birds that they didn't think were possible. And for folks that have been like toying with the idea of, of listing or doing a big year or a big week or a big day or anything to start doing that stuff now, because it's the opportunities ripe. And honestly, these, these organizations, Cornell, UConn, like whoever you have around you, all these colleges, they need the, they need the information and they need the data and it's it's a it's a good opportunity right now to take advantage while you know you're not working or while you have the time from home or whatever so well we're we're closing in on an hour and we haven't gotten to talk too much to matt i wonder what we can i don't know what we what we, we finally have him here i think well, I mean, right now is perfect, right? We have two two big things happen in birding in the just in the last week, right? Um, first was um, there was a, an article released. They found like the oldest uh, the oldest uh, fossil record of like an actual bird, right? Oh, the right. wonder chicken. Yeah. And Matt looks surprised right now about it, but he also has a background in paleontology. The wonder so. chicken. We're gonna we're, we can talk to him about this. Hey Matt, here's can, this thing you just heard about. Tell us all about it. Yeah, give me you know keep talking. Give me a second to read the article and yeah. then I'll so hop in. Yep. It, it was like it's it was the the it was a bird that it was like a bird from I don't know fucking dinosaur times that survived <laughs> <laughs> that survived the the mass extinction event that led to um, waterfowl and. Uh, like chickens and all that shit. It's like the, the, the common ancestor. Um, I mean, what, like, what does finding a fossil like that mean? Like, you know, from dinosaur like, times, you know, the <laughs> dinosaur times, you know, dinosaurs, Matt, right? Yes, I do. Um, let me see. Keep talking. We've got that. And we're looking at migration right now, right? So spring, my spring migration is coming. And it's happening faster than it ever has. And mm-hmm. that's been the case for the last couple of years because yeah. the fucking planet is dying slowly in a microwave. or fast. Yeah. And so, like, what does that mean for the future of our birds? Like, mm-hmm. what are we looking at with if, if spring migration comes too quickly? Like, what is the fallout? Like, what do we see? You know, what kind of failures are we going to see in species and things like that? So that's two fucking, you know, I think that's two pretty solid topics that we can. Well, I can tell you that the Wonder Chicken is from the Cretaceous period. That's, that's, well, yes, uh, because that's, smack, the last, that's the last period of dinosaurs, so. Smack at the end of dinosaur times. Correct. Um, what do you think about the name Wonder Chicken? I, I, I think it's uh, a little uh, uh, cliche. 
uh, quickly looking over this article, it says the fossil is about 66.7 million years old, which puts it about 1.7 million years at most, probably closer to less than a million years uh, from the ex the mass extinction event that caused the, the what we know as the KPG or KT extinction. Um, reading this article quickly, it mentions how the skull has multiple features of different species that we don't see in a current uh, a current bird. So, which places it this firmly as an ancestor, um, which we can already tell from the fact that it's 66.7 million years old. <laughs> um, but I think what's interesting is the, the, the general con uh, consensus about most of the modern birds that we have is that they evolved uh, directly before the, this extinction event. And they were the ones to survive. The birds who could fly and, and eat insects were the ones who could survive. Um, because, you know, we know the large dinosaurs, the, you know, you have your, your um, sauropods, which are your long necks, and, and your, your uh, pterosaurs, your, your um, you know, Tyrannosaurus and stuff like that, that relied on large amounts of food to survive. And after the extinction event where they lost that, they all went extinct. These ones that these species that ate uh, less amount of food per day, uh, you know, quick quick breeding things like insects, uh, survived at a, a better um, rate. And having something that arise before this extinction event tells us that this evolution was already underway, that it was um, this this diversification was already undergoing. And um, this is a fitting topic because there's actually a discussion today in one of the Facebook groups. Um, Red polling about the evolution of flight and how it evolved in, in the two or three logics that there are there. So this, while not single-handedly addressing the uh, you know result of flight, tells us that we should be looking after the general extinction event, after this or or before technically this this, this KPG extinction event. Uh, and, and for those listening, K stands for Cretaceous and PG stands for Paleogene. Used to be called the tertiary, so it used to be called the KT extinction. Now it's called the KPG. Um, looking ahead of this extinction event, before it happened, um, allows us to maybe try to you know, um, angle down as to what formations we should look at to get more evidence in regards to the evolution of birds, because the evolution of birds really isn't known that well. Um, you know, if we think of modern birds today. A large majority, and I don't know the percentage, but I would guess to say at least 95% are extremely small, and they're fragile, and and they're going to decay quickly, and not going to be fossilized. Um, so to find a fossil of an ancestor of these birds uh, helps to really fill in these missing gaps, and it's it's something similar to like say Lucy in the evolution of humans, or uh, Tiktaalik, which was discovered by um, I believe a University of Chicago professor, which is the ancestor of all land-dwelling animals in general. Um, the fact that we have these Goldilocks or missing link species, uh, this wonder chicken, quote-unquote, puts, puts us closer to finding that Goldilocks species to um, place us closer to understanding how birds, as we know them, how avian ancestors diversified from their theropod 
and sauropod ancestors. Um, and we know most theropods, or we assume that most theropods, such as velociraptors, uh, had feathers of some sort. You Tyrannosaurus, we know had feathers. Um, Can you just picture a feathery Tyrannosaurus? <laughs> but also, but also recognize recognize that the feathers I aren't do the every night. Right. <laughs> I, the, the, the feathers, you know, they're, they're more of a proto feather than a modern feather. I, uh, um, from most fossils that we have, a lot of the early feathers look very similar to porcupine quills. You know, they're hollow shafts uh, that, were, uh, that were just uh, designed to, to help regulate heat. Um, and then we had the evolution of these you know, quills and, and uh, uh, barbs and all that that we now you know associate with a normal feather. Structurally speaking, for a bird to take flight, right, their feathers have to have the barbs so that they can sort of Velcro together mm -hmm. to create like a uniform lift, yep. piece of cloth almost. Which will help create which lift. Which helps with yep. lift, okay. And so these like early, the proto feathers, they didn't have the structure to, to, to initiate flight or anything like that. Correct. They okay. didn't, uh, you know, the, the flighted uh, birds at that time, just very similar to today, uh, were presumed to be small. And that's why we don't have fossils of them. Uh, you have we have fossils of feathered theropods such as Tyrannosaurus and what we assume Velociraptor, Utah Raptor, U Tyrannosaurus, Deinonychus, Deinonychus, stuff like that. Uh, we you know we have we assume that they were feathers. We have evidence of some of them being feathered, um, but not feathers capable of flight. And that's because they're too heavy. They don't necessarily have the correct breastbone um, to support the muscle for uh, wing flapping. Mm. Uh, we know small things such as, um, you know, Archaeopteryx most likely were gliders. They most likely climbed trees and uh, would glide after prey, which is an energy conservation mechanism. And that's one of the one of the three major uh, evolutionary arguments for how flight evolved. Um, and that's most likely the most prominent one uh, in, in conjunction with um, the wing-assisted incline running, which means that birds just flapped their proto-wings as they ran up a hill to help them have force. <laughs> that's that just, how I got That just made me think of the coyote, <laughs> the wily coyote. Wily like, coyote? Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, one of his things, you know, was, like, to, like, put on, like, a... Tape, like, tape, feathers to yeah, the bottom of and his then, arms. And then, and like, run up a hill yeah. and, like, yeah. I don't know. Exactly. And that's how... That's one of the, the reasons that people think, uh, you know, think that... Or how people think birds of all flight. Uh, we obviously don't know. This is what I said today on, on the, the, in the question posed online, was that we don't necessarily know because we don't have that Goldilocks species. Birds have to have a certain shoulder... Uh, muscle and a certain certain uh, shoulder alignment to provide flight, and we don't have that evidence in a fossil. Yet. So that proves to us that they didn't solely rely on flapping wings to get around at that period. But in my opinion, um, and you take this as this will as someone who's as an undergraduate in paleontology, um, my assumption is that these birds would climb trees, you know, proto birds would climb trees, glide. And then would spend most of their time on the ground. They'd, they'd glide when they hunt. But as they move across the ground, they would flap their, you know, use their arms to assist them getting up maybe a steep hill. And that steep hill movement built up muscle mass, which and then led them going, well, you know, if we put it into uh, English terms, 
you know, they're thinking, okay, I'm in a tree. Maybe if I use that flapping motion I use to get up a hill, I can get up into the air, um, right. you know, and, and fly a bit longer. And that is potentially how flight evolved. We obviously don't know, but um, the, the proto evidence of this wonder chicken thing doesn't talk about flight at all. It talks more about um, just the general bird shape. And it, yeah. and it really mentions well here that the beak shape in this fossil uh, specifies it wasn't, it resembled a chicken, but shows it wasn't a picky eater, which not being a picky eater really helps when you're surviving an extinction event because it means you can eat a wide variety of food. If one for, sort of food is not accessible to you, then you have other options. You know, very similar to us humans as omnivores, you know, we eat meat and plants. If we lose one, we can survive off the other. <clears throat> some um, some of us do, Matt. Some of us don't. Okay, <laughs> but as a species, we're omnivores. Right. If someone looks at your skull after you die, they're going to say you could eat both meat and plants. Granted. Except they probably were a vegan. Except they probably were a vegan, but they have the chance, you know, they, they could have done both. And that's what our, you know, and looking at this, this fossil is very similar it could have eaten insects it could have eaten plants you know that we don't have a lot of evidence here um looking over this ahead i'm gonna call it the flying trash panda well I, i'd be interested if it flew it it does reference here that it could have been a shorebird based off its long legs but like i said we don't have yeah, evidence don't know. and it's just I'm a skull this, this quick article hmm. right it's just a skull we don't have so we don't have evidence of if it flew i mean well, they have parcels so they had to have legs so we don't have from what I've seen, we don't have wings. So this says it raises the intriguing possibility that small size and a shoreline habitat may have helped these birds survive the end Cretaceous extinction, which is what uh, Stephen Bruce, a vertebrate paleontologist at the University of Edinburgh, said. Well, so look, I, a quick Google credit. search tells me that anybody uh, in the tri-state area can experience the Wonder Chicken for themselves. It is a chicken restaurant located at 6200 Georgia Avenue, Northwest Washington, D.C. And I'll quickly read you uh, a Google review. Quote, pretty good fried chicken, tender, moist, great breading. But this being a Chinese restaurant, I noticed that the chicken is seasoned with five spice, which I have always associated with the smell of a loaded diaper. <laughs> Very subtly seasoned, so it didn't ruin it for me. But it's not something I would seek out. Um, this fried chicken smells like shit, but tastes all right. Yeah. So that's that's the Wonder Chicken restaurant. Um, this also reminds me, speaking of birds that are too heavy to fly or just too heavy to fly gracefully, uh, while Heather and I were sojourning through our local patch, uh, we came across a, um, a number of wild turkeys which we rarely see in this area. In fact, this is the first time I had seen them. Yeah, I mean, they might be always there, but we haven't seen them before. Yeah, and um, so I got a couple snaps. Maybe we'll post one. Um, I will post your pictures. Thanks. And, um, and, uh, but it was funny because I've never seen a turkey fly. I have seen turkeys on the ground, and I have seen turkeys in trees, and I have never seen them make that transition. No, neither have I. And so we, we spooked these turkeys, and the female flew first, and I didn't see from where, and I just saw this sort of brown streak sort of plummeting <laughs> across the lake, followed by the sound of like a woolly mammoth crashing through the forest as the two males followed her, just plowing through 
brush and trees and just really flapping and barely making it across well, to the other yeah, side and then they a lake they're flying right. across a lake which is like i think a bit of a from stretch. high ground to lower ground though like they didn't yeah. gain ground no like, they didn't go up they just sort of flew down and then crash landed on the other and side we both, which is really we something both to described see. it um in unison as like flying garbage trucks yeah they just don't yes, it- could have been our you state. You got to hear the sound of turkeys screaming as they tried not to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just like I, I was, I was like, I was like, I don't like as I was watching it, and James is like, "Whoa, like what is that?" You know, and I'm like, "That's a turkey, like mm-hmm. a turkey, turkey, not a turkey vulture." And like I'm like, its belly seemed to be almost touching the water. Like I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. It uh, touched yeah. me. It touched me. No. I don't know if they can swim, but yeah. I don't think they can that, swim. That could have been I feel bad. Like turkeys can't swim. Yeah, yeah, that's what. That's what the crashing sound was. That was just the audible sound of a turkey trying not to die. It was yeah. Literally screaming for. No, no, no. They they flew across the lake and they they made it, but we and but we could see them doing it and it it was very they didn't what? look like they were it wasn't elegant it was yeah beads of sweat yes. dropping yeah. into yes. the yeah. water you could you could <laughs> and just the sound of the turkey yelling oh god oh god oh god <laughs> <laughs> just keep flapping the entire way yeah so so yeah. quick question i know we're nearing nearing the end but um i i'm so curious now um cuz i didn't know that you had a degree in paleontology um did the did the ch- chicken or the egg? Um, what came first, birding or oh, the dinosaurs? <laughs> I had to do it. So you know, technically, the dinosaurs came first because technically, birds are dinosaurs. Uh, every no, I mean, like word, in your interests. Dinosaurs came first. Yeah. I, well, I, I thought that was a philosophical question. Yeah. I went to school. I went to Ohio State. I have two degrees. I don't necessarily have a degree in paleontology, but that's what I went for. Right. Um, I have a degree. I have a Bachelor of Science in Earth Sciences with a Geological Sciences sub-focus. So big mouthful basically means I went to study the history of the Earth. Right. I also have a Bachelor of Science in Evolution and Ecology. So my interest when I went to school was to study the evolution of birds, specifically after this KPG extinction event okay um so it's and i and i've kind of modified that i'm really interested now as well as uh in current speciation events so current subspecies and what subspecies are splitting what ones are coming closer together stuff like that but um so i i had always had interest in dinosaurs mm-hmm. it was one of those people you know you raise and you may have this you know with james eventually um everyone loves dinosaurs when they're young everyone finds them fascinating I was one of those people who never lost that fascination. And it carried through all the way to college, all the way to school. And, and uh, sadly, all the Ohio, the Ohio State paleontologists are invertebrates. So a lot of trilobite studies and crinoids and, and other things. And I was always there interested in these dinosaurs, but not dinosaurs during the Cretaceous, dinosaurs during the Paleogene, so birds. Um so it's something I intend to hopefully go back to school and study in the future. Yeah, fuck your Taurosaurus. Give us the birds. Yeah, give us the Haas eagle, which went extinct, you know, in the 1500s or so. Give us the things that these toothed penguins or these crazy things you can't imagine existed. Why did they evolve? Why did they go extinct? And how are they fundamentally different than dinosauria? One, they taste delicious with five-spice powder. <laughs> <laughs>
two, their feathers look pretty in my hat. Yeah. That's true. Ooh. So, Very true. So what was your, who was your uh, spark, I don't know, I guess what, was your spark bird? <laughs> His so name this, was this Jeremy. Is this is the thing. <laughs> ironically, or I don't know if it's ironically or not, technically I don't have a spark Jeremy. bird. Wow. Um, no one has to me, have a spark bird. It's okay. What was the earliest bird that sparked my interest many, many years ago before I even cared about birds or, or really recognized I love dinosaurs still? Big bird. I would say the barn owl. Oh. But the reason I am where I am today uh, as a guide and working for Connecticut Audubon Society is my high school biology teacher, uh, Lisa Milas uh, in Manchester, East Catholic High School in Manchester, Connecticut. Um. Freshman year of high school, I walked into her class, uh, honors biology, and I remember her pointing out her classroom window to a tree and saying, at the end of this class, you will never look at the world the same way again, because that tree is not a tree. It's a tree that has cells, and each cell has mitochondria and Golby apparatus and all these different things that make it a living being. And it has a story just like you and I. And that caught my attention. And junior year, I took her AP biology class. Um, and her AP biology class, at the end, she gave us an option. It was, you know, you can take a written test or you have two and a half weeks and you go out and find 50 species of birds. Mm. And you were quizzed on them and you visually identified in audio quizzes. And, and I thought it was impossible to find 50 species in two weeks. I was correct. I found 47. <laughs> um, a lot of my friends lied. A lot of them you know, wanted 100 because it was two points per bird. You find 50 species, you got 100 on your final. Um, a lot of them said, oh, I remember one said, oh, I put, I saw a scarlet tanager, but I didn't actually see it. And we're submitting to Eber at this, at this point in time. And I, you know, I couldn't lie. I love this teacher. I love this class. And I still keep in touch with her to this day. But um, I, I did that and I realized that Outside of the screens that we look at day in and day out, uh, outside of the friends that we have or our families or our books, that there's this whole other world that has a story. And if I could tell that story to people, then maybe it would matter. Maybe it would make a difference. And if I could make a difference in just one person's life, then I would be content with the path that I chose. And I still love dinosaurs, and I realized – once I got to Ohio State, and this is back in the uh, Ohio State. Well, it's Ohio State or the Ohio State University. Okay. Um, you have to add the back in, in 2014, you know, I realized that birds were dinosaurs, mm -hmm. and that there's fossils that have a story, and by understanding the story of those fossils, we can kind of, you know, have an educated guess of what will happen in the future. Um, but also that every living bird today, whether it's you know an ostrich or a bee hummingbird or anything in between in regards to size, has a story. Just like you and I, Sean and I, you know, we have our own individual stories that make us unique as a person. All of these birds have a unique story, and it's all thanks to Milas and and my experience in high school that I realized that this is a story that needs to be told to this upcoming generation mm -hmm. because. We realize the importance of the environment and, you know, everyone here is in school, the canary in a coal mine uh, analogy. 
that the miners would bring canaries down. When canaries died, you knew that was there was carbon monoxide you need to get out. Um, we use that same thing now with how birds react to the changing climate. And we start to realize things changing. It's it, This is our canary in a coal mine is the birds changing. And I have a duty, not just as someone who works for Audubon or is looking to travel, but I have a duty as a bird watcher and as a bird lover to take that passion of mine and share it to those who don't share that passion. Like my brother loves computers. He doesn't care that much about the natural world, but he has grown an appreciation because he sees it through me and recognizes the importance of, of being more conscious or my friends from, from college who really focus more on trees. They're more, they love trees, but they realize that birds and trees go together. So we would go on walks together and they would identify trees and I would identify birds. And together we'd understand that this natural world has so much more worth understanding and telling and, and worth sharing to the general public that may not have it. And, and it comes down to the fact that I don't care. Like I mentioned, I don't, I, I, all I want to do is make a difference in someone's life. I don't care about making money. I don't care about my name being remembered for generations upon end. What I care about is that I change the life of one person to go, huh, maybe this is a little more worth paying attention to. Um, I'm young enough, and it's kind of funny because I get laughed at for this. I'm young enough to remember that we used to go on road trips, and it was always looking out the window. It was never looking down a tablet. It was looking outside at what we were driving by, all the trees and stuff on the way to Florida. Um, in this day and age, everyone's looking at screens. And um, While driving. You know, so While driving. <laughs> yes, while driving. Um, and there's so much more out there, so much more that has this, this potential in this story. So I don't look at it as having a spark bird, to bring it all back to the beginning. I look at it as having a general duty as a nature lover, as a scientist, um, to to transition and to uh, uh, you know help the general public be more cognizant of what's going on. And I go to my friends like Candace, um, and I say, listen, you know, I'm very talkative, as people on this podcast can tell. Um, you know, you you're a little more shy, so let you know, let me take the, the fall. I would love to go back to school and, and study things again, but I talk a lot and I will gladly take up the role of being someone who can translate these scientific papers into what, you know, in, into, you know, not per se dumb it down, but make it understandable to the general public. So that's not these big words that people just push by, but something that goes, Hey, you know, this is what the study says that we saw. So let my friends, and colleagues gather the data and let me be the one to interpret it, that data and, and bring it to the general public so that we all can understand what exactly is out there. Because I feel like a lot of us don't realize what exactly is um, present in the natural world in this day and age. And, and I'll just say that this is what Matt does a lot in the groups that he admins you know if people have questions it's really amazing actually um that you you know like take a you take that role very seriously whereas like i think a lot of facebook admins don't and you will take the time to answer people's questions and and go through the data and explain it um and i think you've made people who obviously already have the um, an interest in birding because they're in the birding group and you you take the time and I, I it's I 
can't even keep count of the number of times I've seen people say, hey, I didn't know that, or, oh, like, I get that now, and, oh, I always wondered that, and, and so, yeah, you, you've definitely been a steward um, in, in the ways that you can, so that's, I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and there, there are two things I tell people when I take people out birding or interact with them online. There are two guidelines I give everyone, and step one is you don't know as much as me, I don't know as much as others. You know, there's people who've been doing this for 30, 40 years, and they know more than me. I've been doing this for about seven years now. I obviously know more than people who have been doing it for less than a year. That's you know just general fact. Um, so understand who you're talking to is step one. And step two is never be afraid to ask a question because there are those, like I said, who have been doing it for so long that it has become second nature to us. But by asking us a question, you know, whether it's me or Ken Kaufman or David Sibley, you know, Nate Swick, Greg Neese of, of ABA, uh, Rob Ripma of, of Saberwing, you ask people who are doing it forever, you ask them how they know the bird they identified or how they know what they know of that bird. And it makes us think. It makes us go you know, what actually, you know, seven years ago, 20 years ago, what made us recognize that feature? And by asking us, it helps us learn how to interpret what we saw, what we see and share it with the general public and share it with you um, to teach you because the best way to learn, you know, you can read a book, you can study pictures, you can watch videos. The best way to learn is to be out there in the field with someone who knows. And by recognizing that you're with someone who's going to want to teach you by, by asking questions, you may not understand everything right away. But what you'll understand is that it takes time and that there are those of us who have devoted hours and days and years to learning specific things. And we'll never know it all. And that's something we all accept. But we'll do anything the majority of us will do anything in our power to help everyone else understand. And the only way we'll, we'll succeed in helping you understand is by being asked questions. You know, like I can tell you a goldfinch from a house finch while flying over the trees, but unless you ask me how while out in the field, how I knew, whether it was something maybe I heard or something I caught a quick glimpse of just by how it, it, it flapped its wings. Unless you ask us that, you're not going to gain anything, and we're not going to gain anything as, as teachers. Because what it comes down to is that every birder, every bird watcher, regardless of what your field is, scientist or conservationist or hobbyist, your ultimate goal, you may be a lister, you may be someone who doesn't care, but your ultimate goal is to share your passion with everyone. And it's or it should be at least it should be it, right it, it should be you know there's, there's those people out there who care really more about their numbers, but what it comes down to is 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 how did I know it was a cardinal just by seeing it fly by how did I know it was a, you know male cardinals are easy but how did I know it was a female you know what did it and today you know for example I stopped my parents on the trail and they said what are you hearing and I stood there and said well I'm hearing and my, my dad said well I hear a chickadee and I said. Right, I hear a chickadee, but I also hear a nuthatch, white-breasted, and a tufted titmouse, and a golden-crowned kinglet, and a red-shouldered hawk in the distance. And once you sit there, 
with people and say what you're hearing and they start seeing what sounds differently than that chickadee what what is standing out and and you watch as they realize wow that's something out there and i think uh, especially when i'm out with people uh you know telling them how many species you recorded together is so important you know you can take people out <clears throat> on a on a short walk and point out species oh here's a robin here's a chickadee here's a goldfinch here's a titmouse he's a nuthatch you know keep going but at the end of the walk if you don't tell them how many species you saw and they saw they're not going to really recognize it because you can end a walk and have seen 50 some odd species and they won't realize it mm. and then you go you saw 50 you know you saw 56 species and they'll go wait really and it's like yes you know and you, they go through the list and they go yeah i guess we did see and hear every single one of those mm. and, and it points out that outside of those typical feeder birds that you have of that you know your robins your downy woodpeckers your starlings your house sparrows that there's more that don't come into the feeders and just by standing in your yard you can pull out all those species and i think one of the best examples i have is sean and i last year went to east rock park yep and we spent six hours something like that six hours at the park and at the end of it we pulled out uh, 70 some odd species. Yeah. I think Sean had 73 and I had 71. Um, in six hours at one park. Sean and... always just adds two. So don't feel <laughs> that. And, and, and one, and one really small park. And you know, I did not expect to spend six or seven hours there. But while I was out walking the trails, I ended up running into people and whether it was, oh, I recognized you from the Facebook group or, oh, I'm just beginning. It was, well, you're here you know, there's some really cool birds here. I'm going to help you go see those birds that I found because there is something about seeing someone's reaction the first time they see, you know, that spark bird. Um, and the best example I have of that as a spark bird, I'm just going to keep ranting, so I'm sorry. Um, We're just going to edit is, out this whole last segment, so don't worry. Just keep going. That's, that's, that's fine. We're, uh, we're at, 25 at, minutes past the cutoff point, so this is all just uh, cutting room floor. No. Well, you can edit it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Edit. Um. But uh, in uh, at McGee Marsh in Ohio, which is a, a phenomenal burning spot and a place a lot of people come to, it's considered one of the top burning places in the country. Um, I was walking two years ago with Kim Kaufman, um, director of Black Swamp Bird Observatory and wife of a renowned author Ken Kaufman and a very well-known birder in her own right. I was walking with her on the boardwalk and we ran into a grandmother and her granddaughter and the grandmother had you know, a really old pair of binoculars probably from 1970s probably a pair of bushels and the granddaughter had none and they were looking at a bird uh and the granddaughter couldn't see it that well and kim asked what they were seeing and they didn't know so kim looked at it and it was a black burning warbler and for those of you who know a black burning warbler it's a small bird with a glaringly orange vibrant orange face and breast especially the adult male and kim took her binoculars off and gave them to the the granddaughter the granddaughter looked at the bird through the binoculars and her eyes widened and she was in shock and you know kim had a smile on her face i had a smile on her face because that's all we aim for is these people who aren't birders or who aren't uh interested 
necessarily at the start. The second they see that bird that could potentially be their start bird, spark bird, I sat there after I was done walking with Kim. I sat there and reflected myself and I said, you know, did I just witness someone's life change forever? Did I just witness them? Are they going to be the next Rachel Carson? You know, or or um, the you know, John James Audubon? Are they the next one? This little girl, nine years old, who saw a black burning warbler and who, uh, whose eyes lit up when she realized that this is something that actually exists. It's not a drawing or an imaginary thing. It's a species that actually exists in your own backyard. Uh, and I lo looked at that. I said, that's all I strive to accomplish. Yeah. Those are always um, wonderful moments, especially when they're like an impre imp impressive warbler because you just see that and you're like, that's something to behold. Never works out the same when it's a squirrel. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's such a drag. Yeah. It's like, what are you looking at? I, I just can't tell. And yeah, you, know. you always go, you know, you see something colorful. Uh, and I had this experience in Costa Rica and I've seen it with a lot of people, you, you know, you go, holy shit, that actually is real. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, and I'm lucky enough to see it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's, and I you know, I think all four of us can say we've had those instances where you've seen a bird and it makes you pause. And go, I'm so lucky to have fallen into this passion, mm -hmm. this hobby where I get to see these things that otherwise, you know, how many people have walked by you and not stopped to ask you what you're seeing or have wondered what you're looking at? Mm. Um, you know, we, we really to make sure we don't take it for granted. Yeah. Take yeah. what this natural world is, it lives with us. You know, it's, everyone deserves the same chance to live this life, whether it's an earthworm or an insect or a bird or us. Yeah. And I think that's, that's and that's a, that's a perfect place to wrap. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we I got think... every. Go ahead, Scott. Oh, I was. Let me just... stop cutting you off. No, 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 it's fine. I was, I was just gonna say, like, um, I think that's you. You can take that a couple different ways. You're right, of course, in the way that you mentioned it, and then the other is, you know, I being sequestered essentially to the same four blocks, you know, for the past uh, <laughs> longer than I'd like to to think but um <laughs> you know you you see the same birds over and over again and you begin to notice that they're not just that bird that there's actually depth even to something as as simple as a as a house sparrow and the way they fly the way they interact with each other the way they the times of day that they come to your feeders and who they come with uh, I read an interesting article that we don't have time to talk about, but that uh, talks about the times of day that we get visits and sort of depends on who's already there, um, that there are these social contracts uh, that, that could potentially be really interesting. But, um, you know, if you live in a place and you're sequestered and you just have that backyard view of, of your feeder, don't despair. Spend, you know... 10, 15, 20, 30, 60, how long do we have? Next month, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. look, look out the window and look at the feeder and, and watch these birds and watch their interactions. And, you know, the, the stories that, that we tell, you know, these can be sort of macrocosmic stories of, of evolution, but they can be, you know, moment-to-moment -moment interactions, you know, or just observations of, of really commonplace birds that change your appreciation of, of sort of where you are and yeah um, and, and let, 
let me add one final thing. Um, I tell it to everyone who I talk about birding. Every single person I've ever birded with has heard this. And it's the quote that I've given to myself. It's if you look a little bit longer and a little bit harder, a whole new world is opened up to you. You can watch a bird feeder for 10 minutes and see only common birds. But in that 11th minute, something may show up that changes your life forever. And don't be afraid of that. Because the difference that comes is unbelievable and totally worth experiencing. I'm going to insert really dramatic music right there. Like, <laughs> just life-changing orchestral music and... Swelling, swelling Just music. swelling strings. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, let's just say thank you to Matt Bell. Thank you, Matt. I dragged him out of the woods to do this on a whim. Uh, we, and it, I think it turned out pretty fucking good. I'm, I'm really glad that we finally got you on the show. It took a pandemic, but... Mm. <laughs> and I, I, you know, now there's no excuse because I only live 13 minutes away from here. So. Global catastrophe. Now yeah. there's no excuse. No, All right. Man. Well, I'm, I'm personally going to mail Sean two USB microphones uh, for the two of you to use for, <laughs> for, the, for the next show. Well, it sounds pretty much pretty good. Pretty good. I'm going to edit we that out. Pretty good. Yeah, we did our right. We did our best. All right. All right, guys. Sean, thanks for joining us remotely. This is the first remote Sean episode. This is the first episode with Matt Bell. Um, trying to think what else I'll be is back. This is the first episode with COVID 19 floating around us. I'm gonna That's go to probably not going to be the last. It probably <laughs> no. won't be the last. Uh, yeah, Stace... if you want me to rant more, just do another episode. I, I can talk for hours. All right. Uh, we, we see that. Everybody, stay safe yeah. out there. Uh, st stay wherever you are stay safe be positive there are am amazing things that you can do and learn um don't feel sequestered or imprisoned feel empowered and um fuck yeah look we'll at birds motherfucker yeah look at the fucking <laughs> birds and we'll catch you next time yeah, yeah. amen thanks guys it's bedtime see ya. Bow Mouth podcast